Hey, I'm Will. And this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Benj, what's the coolest job title that you have ever had? <laughs> I haven't had very many cool job titles. Uh, customer service assistant at uh, Target. Boring. <laughs> what about you? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm largely self-employed, so I just call myself whatever I want. Lead by stories, lead storyteller. Oh, that's pretty cool. I've never used it before, but... Might make it my email signature. I think you should. But cool job titles. Speaking of cool job titles, the person we interviewed on this episode at one point in time had the job title Director of Missional Imagination. That is that is a a very good. At a 13-site megachurch in title. Chicago. Now, you hear that and you think, okay, you know, megachurch sort of world. This same person planted a church in a pub in Melbourne uh, called The Junction that was like predominantly kind of house churches that would meet at the pub once a month or something like that. Same guy. He's, he's a good man and you're going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, Kim Hammond is the lead pastor of the Casey location of City Life Church in Melbourne, which is a large multi-site church. Um, he's also uh, involved in Forge Global um, the New Thing Network, which are both involved in, you know, uh, missional imagination and uh, birthing new churches and, and, and um, bringing together networks. And so holds this weird uh, tension and balance of big church, uh, high impact church, you know, uh, you know multi-site mega church and small micro church multiplying movements. This conversation is basically like a, um, if you were to take you and me and amplify us and put us on a larger scale. <laughs> um, Kim is the guy. And in many ways, this episode really represents some of the ideas we've talked about throughout the whole season of creating the Forming Church podcast. It is a great sort of summary episode, but also one that will open you up hopefully to uh, more thinking around how we could be and rather than or. Yes. This is like a microcosm of the whole season that we've had Uh with the Forming Church podcast. Kim also wrote the book Sentness, Six Postures of Missional 
engagement. So he's he's done it all. He's he's, done he's it doing all. a lot of things. He's uh, got his hand in a lot of uh, different areas and arenas. But um, that brings a a beautiful balanced perspective on church and uh, what God's doing in the world. So here's our conversation with Kim. Well, Kim, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Just to um to kick off, so we could get a little picture of who you are, I'd I'd love just to hear what a a normal week in your life looks like. Great, thanks. Um, so I'm the lead pastor of a site at City Life, so we're a multi-site church. So my normal week is to lead my staff uh, all day on a Tuesday. We're actually doing a course at the moment called Disciples Made from the Underground which is about discipleship and missionaries made. Um, so we are, I have a fantastic local staff of about 10, 10 uh, staff who look after our Casey congregation. I'm half-time the multi-site champion and church planning champion. So the other half, I oversee the other sites, and I'm leading the initiative for City Life to plant a movement of missional communities and new sites. So we're trying to be an and church. So I sit on the senior leadership team. That's normally a weekly meeting as well, staff meeting with us. So we're about five sites. So we have a dream to plant three more large, robust, all mission, all ministries, as well as hundreds of missional communities. So we just launched it this weekend at the church at the church on the weekend. The vision of that, we've got the plan for the three new locations and as well as these new missional communities. So wow, that's so, awesome. And, and I lead New Thing, Oceanic. So Ken's on my team. He leads the New South Wales movement. We have a Melbourne movement led by Luke Williams. So I was up for the Sydney event. So uh, I also wear that hat. So. Yeah. And I'm, I, I chair the Forge board. Wow. Just a few things. Just a few things. It's uh, You're a perfect guest for this podcast because uh, Benj and I are both church planners uh, taking different approaches. Mine would be more the kind of missional, incarnational, simple church model. Benj, more of your kind of traditional, trying to grow big uh, model. Um, although we kind of joke about it. We're both trying to grow big in different ways. Um, and we're part of a network from the church that has sent both of us out, which is more of a kind of 40-year-old established Baptist church in Australia. So excited to talk to someone who's got eyes across the spectrum, not in an oppositional competitive way or an antagonistic way, but as a, all of this can work together with a shared heart. And I've done both. So when I grew up in a large Pentecostal church here in Melbourne, the CRC church, and then when I was 20, I did the Forge residency and I went out with 10 friends and planted in a pub. And yeah. that was called the Junction and it was it was uh, five or six house churches that met only once a month. And so then I went and consulted at Dave Ferguson's church in Chicago with 10,000 people, 14 sites. So I've done, and now I'm back at Sea Life. So, you know, I've lived in both worlds. You know, so I would love to unpack that. So, could you tell us from from having lived in both worlds, uh, what are some of the things you've learned from being in those different environments? What are some of the things you've observed that are maybe strengths that each could offer the other? Yeah. So, I think when I so I've been involved with this for twenty years. I think in the initial early days, and I gave this talk to the cross crosswords or cross things. What's your national evangelism crossover? Crossover. I knew it was something across something. <laughs> I, Darren Cronshaw and I, who I wrote the book, my book with called Sentness, um, uh, The Six Postures of a Missional Christian. 
Um, and so I gave this talk and I said that when it came out in the 90s, a lot of the missional church was very prophetic. Does that make sense, that word? It was very angry. It was very much, we're not going to meet on a Sunday morning. Why not? Because Thursday's better. Like it was like it wasn't based in good missiology. It was a little bit reactive to traditional church. Mm. And the conversation had to grow up into an apostolic movement. So the only way missional used to be described as fragile, as small micro, it was kind of defined against. And I think for it truly to become movement, it has to be for something. And so I think the conversation now, Forge has now exploded all around the world. It's become much more about church planting in every form. And now these conversations, like I sit on a new thing, international call, I'm on the exponential board that's coming to Australia. You know, people are having conversation on the end. What does microchurch mean? Rather than an early reaction house church only defined by what it's against. So it's grown up the conversation. So mm. I think if it's still stuck in a little bit of angry reaction, it won't last is my comment. Mm. Wow, that's very good. I would love just to explore some of your um, your journey. If you could just like talk about uh, being part of Forge and what that is and new thing and all, all the things that you're a part of, just to, just to give a bit of a, a global landscape to some of these conversations. Yeah, so I, you know, I grew up in the CRC, right? CRC Churches International, Pentecostal, Indigenous, Australian, probably the first Pentecostal, Indigenous, Australian, Pentecostal denomination. Uh, very country-based church planting, missions in Papua New Guinea, very meat and potatoes Pentecostal. Three fast songs, three slow songs, <laughs> tinkle on the keyboard. You know, everyone falls over. I grew up training people by putting blankets on, the, on people, modesty blankets, you know. Um <laughs> And uh, its imagination of church was very focused around the weekend. So when I went and did Table, Table, do you guys have, you have Table in Sydney? It's now Eastern College here in Melbourne. Um, MST's uh, taking it over. Um, when I was doing Table, my degree in ministry, and someone said to me, you should do Forge. I never heard of Forge. I never heard of Alan Hirsch. I never heard. I knew, you know, Sundays are the most important and everything else points to that. And so I'm this young 20-something. I go drive to the inner city and meet Alan Hirsch. And he's this weird Jewish bearded, you know, golem-looking <laughs> character who's talking about incarnational missiology and joining God at work. I mean, and, and it, I was like a sponge. I was like, sign me up. What do you mean church isn't just on a Sunday? It's every day of the week. What does it mean God's people are sent? What does it mean to join God at work? And so... I was the I, I signed up, did the residency, planted this with 10 of my best friends, the junction. And it was a great hands-on experience of deconstructing everything from our childhood. And I love my childhood. I totally honor my roots of we always joke, Mark Sayers says this, you can't be post-evangelical until you've been evangelical. <laughs> so you've got to have a foundation of what you know the Bible believes and so on. So so I began to deconstruct. Well, why do we have to push people over? And why do legs have to grow? And you know, is, is that really, does God heal everybody? And um, Forge was great for me because it was all cold face, rubbing shoulders with practitioners who were planting among the homeless or planting among the gay community or planting among the drug and alcohol community. So I, it was great for me. And then Alan moved to America and uh, in 2007 and uh, Forge went on a bit of hiatus because everyone was practitioners. They're all church planters mm. and leading Forge and that was tough. So so it kind of went on hiatus here. So I got a visa with Dave Ferguson and moved to America in 2009. 
and he runs new things. So he started this international church planning world. And this is what the difference is, guys. The Americans aren't cynics like we are in Australia. They are can-do people. So they know that a family church and kids ministry doesn't work in San Francisco. They know in college towns like Texas, very conservative, but in Austin, it's a college town. They know in Raleigh, North Carolina, where the university is, that their meat and potatoes megachurches don't work. And so they began to ask the question, what does it mean to think about church or ecclesiology differently mm. through a lens of missiology or studying mission? So I got involved with New Thing. And so did Alan's on the New Thing team. These All these worlds have come together. And Exponential is the largest church planning conference in the world. And it's kind of become a gathering for both mega and micro, for reformed guys. Because we don't argue about theology. The, the difference is, like many people define their movements by their theological place, like are you complementarian or egalitarian? Are you reformed, neo-reformed, or are you Calvinist or Arminius? Movement and multiplication is the heartbeat of most church planters. That's why you two are French. You have the commonality of going, we want to do movement. The expression of ecclesiology might be different. So I love that I get to play in these worlds. And look at City Life. He's a largely attractional 53-year-old church and has gone through this journey of going, well, what does it mean to rethink all of our models? We're not going to chuck them out. We're not closing our services. We'll continue to run large weekend services with full ministries. But what if we could lead into movement? Now, that's exciting. Mm. Oh, it's very exciting. And uh, I love hearing, you know, some of your journey with how you've kind of learnt from all those different environments. And even just that you look back on your childhood, not with a sense of bitterness, but also being able to, it's almost like you go you go through those stages where you go beyond that to, to kind of, you come back home, but with different eyes, right? Um, I think it's right. So good. Yeah. So... We noticed in doing some some research around some of you, the spaces you've been in, you at one stage had the title Director of Missional Imagination. <laughs> epic, epic job title. What did that actually involve? So it was a dream job in Chicago, right? Firstly, you've got to understand I'm not an attractive man. I have no illusions <laughs> that I have a rough face. But I, I look like Russell Crowe in America, right? So you get a 20% boost in looks. I'm great for podcasts. So... <laughs> Like Americans just love Australians. So it was a dream job. You come in there to Americans and you say, reach your neighbours. And they just pull out their notebook and they say, reach your reach my neighbours. Help me understand that. And they, you think, are they being sarcastic? And they're not. They're like, give it to me, teach me. So my role was to create imagination in all of the sites, 14 of them, all of the staff, and just be a coach and teacher to their whole movement. And on The Verge, which is written by Alan Hirsch and uh, Dave Ferguson, they write kind of my story of this idea of, like, here's a church planning, a new church, a new site every 10 days across the world. And Dave says to me, I want every person to watch Invictus. Do you remember that movie about we met Dave with the big nose? And and he Dave's a visionary, global visionary, friends of Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and amazing. And I looked at him and I'm only, I'm like 35. I just done Forge and I, I've been leading a house church of 100 people. And I said to him, I think it's the wrong movie. I think we want to get everyone to watch The Blind Side. And you remember, it's 2010. And The Blind Side is about Sandra Bullock reaching out to one African-American and changing that one life. Mm-hmm. I said, imagine if every mum and mechanic, artist and accountant could get on mission. And that's, they totally adopted that. Micro, mm-hmm. macro, bless got written out of that. Mike Spells, you know, Mike Frost on Bells. Mm-hmm. Dave Ferguson, when I gave him the Bells book, 
He wrote Bless. Now, Bless has been done all over the world, missional rhythms. That was just the Americans thinking practical, you know, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share. But, yeah, it's an epic title. Missional, I've never had a greater job title than that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. What did you learn from that role? I, I imagine, you know, there's, there's going to be a whole range of people listening to this, some church planters, some people from um, established churches that are looking to become a little bit more missional or plant, plant other churches. Um, what are some of the le- lessons you learned from a, you know, a large multi-site church trying to move towards a missional mindset? What, what could you teach us? So I, mean, I think the guys did it really well. Back then, so back in 2000, there was a lot of literature from 3DM and others around missional communities. They chose to not change their language because they had a strong, small group base. So they didn't want to create a competitive structure of like, here's the new thing. It's like we used to have Sunday school in the 80s. You know, for adults, and then and that's so, you know, so, so now postmodern, let's move to now small groups. Oh, we don't care about them anymore. So they decided to mobilize and hold their small groups accountable by writing a covenant that it would be groups of missionaries or a group on mission so that every person, no one had an out. So your group had to decide we are called to, and it could be anything, single mums, veterans, when they, it was either uh, this idea of three places, kind of we work, we so we live is your first place. We work or study, and we play. And they they coached and trained and, and aligned all of their sermons. I reckon that first year they did eight themes, eight monthly themes out of the twelve, all on teaching on mission. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to join God at work? What does it mean to identify a people group or a place? What does it mean to live, work, or play? And then they commissioned everyone. They really took their money. They, they put their money where their mouth was. And they got every life group in the whole church. Now, big church, 10,000 people, right across their 14 sites. And they said, we're going to commission you as missionaries. And they did a covenant, like a, a sheet they signed, and they measured it. Americans are great at measuring stuff. They said, all right, we're going to get to 85% of groups to get one of these covenants. And so that was a lesson to me. How do you organize a mass scale 10,000 people? How do you disseminate and make it very clear Americans are great at marketing and not just marketing, but making, you know, the idea of simplicity and complexity. You can have complex theological ideas, but it needs to be memorable, reproducible. This is Hero Maker. This is what they're so good at. Mm. I see in you and I believe in you and dream napkin stuff. Like take someone's dream. You, 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 both of you had a dream. Someone had to sit in you and say, I believe in you. I, Americans are so good at that. I need to go there once a year just to feel good about myself. <laughs> So they're so equipping and cheering you on. And I think we miss a bit of that in the church in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons we're making this podcast is because it feels like there's a bit of a gap in the Australian uh, market of ideas around some of this church planting, missional engagement, um, particularly compared to America. And so much of our thinking is influenced by listening to fantastic American podcasts and reading great books that are coming out of America. But we're in a different context here. As you think about, you know, a pandemic-shaped post-Christian 21st century Australian landscape that we're in, what do you think are some of the, uh, I guess, some of the key challenges that are contextual to Australia as well as maybe some of the opportunities for people to be thinking about over the next decade? Yeah, I think um, it has to be deeply grounded in mythological thinking. So the idea that we're a sent people. So I think I wrote this in our book. You know, you can sell church, you can compete for the same 10% of Christians from the Anglican Baptist Church of Christ, whatever you switch down the road, or you can generally work hard at mobilising whoever God's students you with 
for the 10, 10, 100 or 10,000, that's just scale. You know, if you are stewarding whoever God's given you and you are sending them into the way they live, work or play, that'll change every conversation. Because Paul has always said, Christology confirms missiology and then ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. So it's not debunking church. It's just putting it in the right order. Mm-hmm. So often we start with our pre-packaged ideas of church and we say, what does that town need? Oh, it needs alpha. It needs a marriage group. And it could be true, but we don't do the hard work of listening, loving, entering, incarnating. So, and, and, and here's the research we've got our natural church life survey. This is why exponential coming to Australia is significant because less than 2% of churches are reproducing churches. Less than 2%. Mm. That's terrible. Mm. We've got to shift the tipping point in the church to go, why aren't we planting more churches? Not just trying to gather more Christians from one parish to the Baptist or from Baptist to Church of Christ, mm. but how are we going to reach the harvest field? in word and deed. So I think that balance too. We don't have a lot of literature on how to share. Everything that we've learned with evangelism has been confrontational, learn someone else's speech, insert them. But there has to be rhythms and practices. People have to, it takes a long time to reach a post-Christian culture. And like churches like Sea Life are a great example where they get a famous speaker in, Nick Novichik, you know, Nick, the guy without the arms, mm. you know, the guy who speaks. He's amazing. He'd come in and talk. 12,000 people would come, 1,000 people put their hand up. Now, that's low-hanging fruit. And God still uses that. But that's not mobilizing the other 9,000 people in the congregation to Mm. go, what does it mean to inhabit your work, your home, your neighborhoods? And COVID, I reckon I'd be interested to hear what you two think. COVID has pushed people into the neighborhood. Mm. So my feeling is that people are discovering their neighbors in unprecedented ways their neighbourhood in unprecedented ways. And all my missional friends are like, I told you this 10 years ago, church. Why didn't you pay attention? But it's how God uses a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it is this weird uh, paradox of like we're living so much of our life online and yet uh, the street that I live in has become so important, particularly, you know, experiencing lockdown and, and you know, just being able to walk, you know, you've, you've known this in Melbourne, only being able to go 5Ks from where you live is yeah. this weird um, and of we are global people and we're connected all over the world and yet the place that we inhabit is really important now. Um, and I think that there has to be a future for that in the church, don't you think? Yeah, I do. And I think this theology of place, I'll tell you a good guy to interview is Cam Roxburgh. He's the international director of Forge. he would give you the time. He's in Vancouver. He's got a multi-site church, all based on incarnational mission. Guys that he raised up in his youth ministry and have led these different kind of places across Vancouver. And Vancouver is very much like Melbourne. Mm. And, I mean, he talks about the Shema and the idea of, of place and how the theology of place matters. And I think this is more than just a good idea. We've got to keep reminding the church this is a God idea. Mm. How do we join the Missio Day? How do we have a good theology of place? Why does place even matter? I think this is the stuff the church is becoming awakened. So I felt like in the early days of Forge, I was like following Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost around. And their heart was to turn the church's imagination from one style or one model to others. Now people are much more open. I think Mm. people are leaning in. They're asking the question. Because the average church in Australia is 70 people and it's not growing. Mm. And just applying church growth doesn't work anymore. Mm. What does it mean to be a sent people? I mean, you guys are, are modeling this. New South Wales Baptists, man, you guys have got a vision. There's something exciting happening. Come on. I'm interested. Um, 
you know, for, from some of what you've shared, you know, kind of touched on it before, that idea of you go through the seasons, you go through some of that anger, you get on the other side of it. Um, that's, probably the, that's probably the people I feel most called to, people that are kind of wading through deconstruction, asking really good questions, maybe that felt like forbidden questions and that's why they had to go ask them somewhere else because it felt like their church would kick them out if they said that out loud. Um, but like you've pointed out, there's kind of, you know, just staying in angry land is not very life-giving for anybody. Yeah. Have you learned anything about actually walking people through that without trying to skip over it or just trying to ignore it? But actually, how do we really acknowledge the very valid questions people have about, you know, the church in a post-Christian context and the faith that they grew up with that maybe was had, you know, some rough edges wasn't perfect. Yeah, how, how, how have you learned around walking people through that and giving them a vision of something on the other side? Well, it's a great question. I would say um, Ash Barker, I don't know if you've heard of Ash Barker. He did, yeah. used to lead UNO, Urban Neighbors of Hope. He's now doing the Newbegin Centre in England. He, used to, he always said to me, you have to define pe- for people what you're for, not what you're against. And I think people have to go through that journey. Mm. Well, they genuinely grieve because so often church tells you what to think, not how to think. Mm. And so we're going to teach people how to think. What does it mean to have a theology of, of the dark time of the soul? What does it mean that not everyone gets healed on this side? I just did a wedding on Monday where my one of my best mate's wife died of cancer three years ago, and they believed for healing, and she died tragically. Now, he just remarried a, a young, beautiful girl in our church. But to just walk through that three years with him of pain and anger mm. and what does it mean to have someone who you love dearly and loves the Lord have cancer. Now, my son had cancer. I had cancer. We both survived and we're both in great health. So not everyone gets healed. Not everyone, you know, some healing comes on the other side of it. Well, church never wrestled, never, I should say never, sometimes doesn't wrestle with these things well. Mm. And so what does it mean to create a space of deconstruction? And Alan Hirsch would say, you've got to metanoia, you've got to repent of some of these things, of maybe being focused on numbers or machine or or on, on teaching people how to think and repentance of some of that stuff and deconstruct and then get into a place of reconstruction. What does it mean to believe in a faith community that's covenantal? What does it mean to be the people of God to one another where we where we choose the 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 the, 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 the narrow gate? What does it mean to sacrifice and love the stranger, hospitality? Uh, there's a great guy down here in Melbourne, uh, Corey Mitchell. I don't know if you know Corey. He does Steeple Church. Great guy to interview. Um, he he was a, a, a world-class bartender mm. and then became a church planter and got into coffee and has created these third places in these mm. in these buildings where people have workspace share. I mean, these are these are the people who are my heroes mm. because they're pushing innovation. They're, they're mm. starting communities. Here's a wonderful community. Um, and I think if we give people another imagination or a picture, so for me, I probably felt a very similar well, uh, ministry to people who have been hurt from church. We had a lady join us who was on staff at a large church who hadn't been in church for five years. We began work among Gatehouse, which is work among uh, street workers in St Kilda. They started a second chapter near our church, which was preventative. Young women who were being exploited, who were at the risk, DHS thought they were at the risk of being uh, being sexually exploited. Either they were or at the risk of. And so we began volunteering there. And her daughter worked there. Her daughter said to her, you've got to go see this church. And she became part of that community and she's now a leader and, She's been restored. So I think there's a ministry just restoring Christians in the hope 
that the church will do some of the things it should do. It's advocacy for the poor. It cares about the marginalised. Would the city cry out if that church didn't exist? And that, that's where yeah. I feel like my one of my roles at Forge and New Thing has been helping churches to stop to, trying to attract goods and services and religious Christians, but actually help them to think about what is the dream of the church to be, which it sounds like you guys are involved in. Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. I would love for you to just to paint a picture of of that imagination. If if you were to cast your eyes, you know, ten years ahead, and we can't, we don't know everything, but if your your hopes and dreams for the church in Australia, uh, you know, post COVID and and everything that is happening and changing and shifting in our world, what what are the glimpses that you see of a, a beautiful? church you know you talked about going through deconstruction but like part of it is painting the picture and the imagination of what what could be um if you were to think about that on a on a kind of national level uh what what do you see yeah so i see i mean i see a sent church i see that people would love their neighborhoods wherever they're placed you know whether it's a suburban country town whether it's a city church that has a wider reach that they would be sent to it that the people in the neighborhood would look like the church, that mm-hmm. if there's, like in Casey, we're 51%, you know, 51 different nationalities of Sri Lankans and Indians and Romanians, that we have the same percentage in the community because we look like where we're sent to. It isn't a white bubble or, or one nationality that's different. You know, it's not all Dutch reformed or whatever, whatever the group is. I think that churches will collaborate rather than be competitors. Like one of my best friends, Luke Williams, you should interview Luke, amazing church planter. Leading the Melbourne, he's the Ken Kamar to Melbourne. So Luke Williams started a church four years ago, um, you know, traditional Baptist, but they two nights a week do a food van down the road to one of the most neediest area of Pakenham. Mm. And every elder, every leader, every staff member rotate through. So not just for a few people who care about the Paul, but the whole church is involved in seeing restoration of all God's things. And I would love to see the church step that up. And I think multiplication and reproduction. So Luke and I want to plant churches together. He's a Baptist, we're a Pentecostal church, but it isn't about our brands. It's about churches planting churches together. Mm. With it, at the minimum praying, at the next level, maybe sending people and money, and the third level, what if we could do an actual church together? Mm. And I, I imagine in 10 years there'll be something, tipping, the tipping point will come because of podcasts like yours, because of conferences like Exponential. And it's not the conference, it's the imagination, how we pull the stories mm. and, the inspo- you know, do training and equipping Organisations like New Thing that will continue to dream about men and women on mission, planting new expressions to see more people reach for Jesus. That's my dream. Mm. That's a good dream. And uh, I'm personally really inspired talking to you and uh, just love, uh, yeah, your heart, your wisdom, your experiences that you're sharing with us. We want to just wrap it up by giving you a few rapid fire questions. These are just the one sentence or one word answers. So are uh, you ready? Yep. What do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia? Consumerism. What's giving you hope about the future of the church in Australia? Stories of church planters risk-taking. Awesome. Uh, What's influencing you right now in terms of books you're reading or podcasts you're listening to, people you're kind of paying attention to? I'm doing Alan Hirsch's uh, movements collective with a bunch of denominational leaders. Andrew Paul's on that call from New South Wales. That's inspiring. Deconstruction, reconstruction, tell a new story, rewire your brain. What are the blockers? What are the what are the boosters? The we're doing the MDNA. We've gotten ways. I'm reading that again. 
I've just read Eugene Peterson's um, uh, Long Walk in the Same Obedience, mm. beautiful stuff. John McCroma's new book on hurry business. Mm. You know, um, these these are great books to be reading. Mm. People are re reimagining a new life of good, healthy rhythms. Yeah. That was a long answer, sorry. That's good. We'll, we'll let you go with that one. That's fine. Um, if you could have one book and you just had an, an unlimited pile in, in your office that you could give to people, uh, what would that one book be? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question because I'm so i a book lover. I love books. Um, oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> I mean, The Forgotten Ways is a yeah. great book by Alan Hirsch. If you want to get reconstruct the MDNA, what are the elements of movement, I would give that book away every time. Shaping of Things to Come by Mike and Alan. I, I don't think you're allowed to say your own book, are you? You can. We'll you allow can. it. Yeah, yeah. But you, didn't, but you didn't, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll ask that at the end. We'll ask for where we can uh, link up with you and send people towards your stuff. Um, final rapid fire question, just thinking about the listeners to this podcast, people that are going to be the leaders of the future church in Australia in all its forms. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe they're co-vocational, bivocational, maybe they're church planners, you know, all kinds of different mixes. But what would be your two to three sentences uh, for for people that are kind of thinking about these things right now? Yeah, I think follow your dreams. You know, risk take while you're young. Don't wait till you're older. And you can do it when you're older. I think God calls people to all ages. But I remember the head of the issue saying to me, I remember being 20-something, said to him, what am I going to do in my life? And he said, do it now. Do it while you're young. Risk take it all. Have a go. Because as you get older, you go towards safety. And, uh, and I, that's why I admire older people as they get back into church planting. And uh, and to make mistakes, make lots of mistakes, and do good action, reflection, learning. Have good friends and mentors, and laugh a lot, and journal lots, and enjoy it because ministry is hard. And there's lots of people. I wish I often say to my kids, I wish I could go back in time and say, don't care less what people say, because we we sometimes shape ourselves too much on people's opinions. That is good stuff. Um... Where can people connect with you and follow along your journey? So um, uh, I'm part of Forge, a new thing, new, new thing Australia. We have an Instagram. I'm at City Life. Um, so either Forge or New Thing or City Life. Um, new, new Thing is a new network that I'm, I'm leading Oceanic and apprenticing in that role. So really, you know, we really want to come and help churches and church planters. And obviously you guys have been involved with New Thing in New South Wales. Mm. The Baptists have really, you know, bought in. We want to see those networks happen, right? So if you want to be networked, if Forge is doing some great, there's Forge Melbourne and Forge Queensland. They're doing some great training. 5Q, I, would, I really encourage people to, to give, give some of that training. So uh, kimhammond.com.au or you can look me up at Sea Life or New Thing. Awesome. Kim, thank you so much for your time, your stories, uh, your giving, giving another Zoom call in the midst of so many Zoom calls to us. Thanks, fellas. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. To find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. Welcome, Pip, Ken. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Good to be here. 
Great to have you guys here. In this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Kim Hammond about the mega, the micro, the multi-site. And the point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. So you might have a different perspective to Kim, uh, Benj, Will, Pip, Ken, myself, but how can we create healthy debate and move beyond the echo chamber of our tribe? So guys, what stood out to you? I think there was some really great stuff in that interview and as I was thinking about it, I actually realised I I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out some of those um, organisations and people that he was talking about that I may be less familiar with. Uh, So I heard about Exponential and New Thing and Forge and Crossover and 3DM and uh, for him, I'm sure that's uh, part of the world that he's in and it it, it makes a lot of sense today uh, to him, talking about people he knows by name. But for me, um, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a challenge trying to keep up with some of those, to be honest. Isn't that interesting? Because for me, I know Kim and I'm quite familiar with those organizations. So it was almost like I was just sitting there having a conversation with Kim. But that's a really helpful thing to point out that there are people listening here who have no context around that. And so Mm -hmm. who are these organizations and how does that play out in the role of conversation? And yeah, really, really helpful. So what stood out to you guys? Uh, well, for me, the the one thing that uh, stood out for me was uh, Kim's willingness to unlearn. Um, having spent a lo- a big chunk of his ministry year in a big Pentecostal church, uh, where there's formation and how ministry is done, and his encounter with Alan and how that shifted significantly. Uh, I mean, being in a big Pentecostal church uh, that is that he said was really built around the Sunday experience. And then hearing this conversation about being missional and incarnation, but the willingness for him to unlearn and relearn and to a point where he plants a church that is in a pub. I mean, that that really stood out for me. That says a lot, yeah. And you can't replace hands-on experience, can you? So I think Mm. what you hear from Kim is someone who has actually lived all of those expressions. And often when we've only had one expression and we're seeing a different expression, because we don't understand it, because we haven't lived it, it it's actually really difficult to engage with it. And so I think his perspective, having encountered all of those in a very lived, hands-on way, is, is, is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Mm, yeah. What else stood out to you? I think um, bringing it to the level of the church, uh, what does that mean, mean for each one of us to live as sent people and um, how can we within our churches uh, provide rituals, space uh, for people to be sent in our week-to-week, month-to-month rhythms of, of church life? Yeah, he talked about in terms of lessons to becoming missional, uh, the role of commissioning. Mm -hmm. And um, commissioning, as you said, rituals are just so powerful in terms of formation and culture making. And um, there's a book called The Power of Moments, I think, and talks about these key formational experiences like graduation after school or mm. university. And and so I think that churches need to think about these key moments mm. and how we actually uh, form people as sent ones. When we were planting each week, we had this spot at the end of our service called Apostello, mm-hmm. which comes from this language of the sent ones. And we would just have uh, someone come up and share each week uh, the places that they're being sent to, the, where they live, where they work, where they play, and yep. um, just everyday people, mums, dads, uh, professionals, tradies, and, and just to to reshape the culture of our church. And then we would pray for them yeah. uh, and, and keep them in our prayers that week uh, as a sign that we are all the sent ones. I've heard of churches actually having signs as they leave the building, you are sent ones. Mm. And uh, and just this, this idea of uh, commissioning people uh, to go out and to uh, 
be the church in their yeah. everyday. Yeah, and I think uh, sometimes in regards to just that that moment of of commissioning, uh, a lot of the times we leave that to either we're commissioning a pastor or ordaining a minister. Uh, but I think what I loved about what Kim was saying was if you just take just the regular people attend your church mm-hmm. um, and give them that moment of reflection where they they see themselves as missionaries out there and there's a clear sending out and, and a clear blessing of like that you are part of the mission of God. You you can live out this where you live, work and play um, and not just saying it, but actually affirming it. Uh, whatever it may be, whether it's a small group praying for them or whatever it may be, those moments are very key. Um, and I think as, it, as churches, we really need to invest in those, yeah. And it subverts the challenge of um, consumerism yeah, that he talks it does. about, doesn't it? It does, it does yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things as well that really stood out to me uh, was this idea of um, not just be, uh, communicating what you're against but what you're for. Oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. was great. And, and I, I can remember back to those early conversations around the emerging church or the missional church and this narrative uh, of what they were against actually became a barrier to seeing the change that they wanted to see. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think as well that I have um, observed that shift and and now communicating uh, what we're for enables movement. And and I thought yeah. that was a really helpful connection. Um, and, and yet so often in our churches, we talk about the church down the road and what we're against or how we're different. It's our point of difference yeah. rather than this idea that we're for the kingdom of God. Mm. We're for justice. We're for reconciliation. We're for peace and wholeness and all of these things, which then uh, creates movement, I think, yeah. Yeah. And, and causes partnership in that space. Yeah, I think in my experience in in the uh, southwest Sydney where uh, I work, uh, it's the sense of when churches come together in networks, um, when conversations shift from what we're against to what we want to be for, it just changes the atmosphere. It sucks out of the room suspicion and, and, uh, you know, closed hearts and minds. It just opens up because Mm. any minister I've met, any pastor or any leader I've met who's in the mission of God, uh, whether they're leading a, a large church or a small house church or uh, a place making, whatever it may be, the one thing that I think brings us all together, we want to see Christ lifted up. Mm. And, and that's it. Everything else is secondary. If, if that's where we start from, then it becomes what we are for uh, and not what we are against. Yeah. So that, that's the, it's so amazing to hear just Kim mention that. Uh, in how they, they live it out, not only at, at City Life, um, but also in his role in seeing the shift in mission happen. And I think maybe how some of those differences actually bring something greater to the whole. So we're not necessarily avoid talking about theology or, yeah. or uh, avoiding talking about some of those things, but we are saying when it comes to even beliefs, the things that we hold in common are actually far greater than the things yeah, that are, are different and that we can um, grow in our theologies by hearing and listening to each other and exploring together what God is doing in the world. We get a so much greater, fuller picture of that. It's great. And I think, again, there was this theme that we've heard throughout that COVID has pushed people into their neighbourhoods yeah. again and the role of uh, a really robust theology of place yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we're both 
global and local um, yeah. and that those relationships are becoming more apparent than they might have been mm. uh, when we all lived in suburbia and drove into our garages and behind our fences and, mm. you know, that really closed yeah. off mindset that we're now all of a sudden quite opened up to place. And what does it look like to develop a theology of place during this time I think will be really important. I think Kim uses the, the term incarnating in a space. Um, and yeah, we've been forced to think how we're going to incarnate in this space for the glory of God. If you could ask him a follow-up question, what would you ask? Um, I think one of the things he mentioned uh, about allowing people to wrestle with the big questions of faith and dis- deconstructing, I think that's the word he used, deconstructing stuff. Uh, I th- I'd love to know, he, I think he mentioned he's done that. I'd love to know the how. Because those are really, faith is a very uh, emotional uh, part of our life. And so how do you have those conversations in a space that allows for, for growth and health? Where it's not, it's not a fight. Um, I'd love to know how he, he does that. Yeah, that's really great. That was one of the things that stood out to me uh, in terms of a question for follow-up was uh, how to reconstruct. There's lots of deconstruction yeah. that happens, but how do you yeah, help people good. rebuild yeah. after yeah. they've tore things down, which is really important as well to create mm. that space, but yeah. then equipping and walking alongside people in that reconstruction. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Pip? Yeah, maybe another how question is um, affirming that importance of our church reflecting society, particularly in regards to things like multicultural diversity. Um, great. How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. If you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area, what would it be? I think there was just, again, that challenge of um, making things simple and explicit. So when we send people out, um, your church might have a different way of doing that. Um, to Jamie's expression, uh, it might be a little bit different, but uh, what, what do we actually do? How do we do that? And uh, perhaps it's, it's about making that really simple and explicit so that people can um, experience being sent out into their uh, ordinary lives on mission with God. Yeah, I think we've used the term in a number of, uh, of episodes where we people live, work and play. Mm. Um, and I think uh, I, would, I would not want it to become a phrase that people use, but an actual uh, call to action. So my next step would be for people listening is to actually sit and ask, where do I live? Where do I work and where do I play? Just bringing clear boundaries around that and then how am I going to engage in those spaces? Yeah. So Pip, if someone was to ask that question, what are some tools that are out there that can help people uh, know more about their community, where they live, work and play? Yeah, I think you can just start with the broad demographic stuff mm. that's available from the Bureau of Statistics yeah. or other stuff that you find online um, and then following that up with the um, personal conversations from a posture of curiosity that's going to flesh out some of those conversations. That's yeah. great. Can any other tips that you have in that space? No, nah, just building on what Pippa said, I think when we talk about where we live, work and play, it, it, if you don't take the time to actually like Pip said, go look at what is my suburb, who lives in my suburb. Um, you, it's, you can have this false identity of, of what's happening where you live uh, and that, that can become a hindrance. Um, yeah. 
One of the things that people could also look at is mapping the geography of their place. Yeah. So thinking about uh, the nodes or the places that people gather, those third yeah. places, uh, shopping centres, um, sports grounds, yeah. cafes. What are those places that people naturally congregate? Yeah. What are the, the boundaries or the edges of your community? For instance, my community, there's uh, this large road called Pitwater Road that runs straight through the middle of it that separates the east from the west and that that creates a natural boundary yeah um and what are the pathways the 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 places that people naturally move between on the northern beaches again we we have a lot of people that transition up to the central coast and so what are those natural pathways in our community um and and how does that uh, reflect the rhythms of that neighborhood and place yeah Excellent. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Wow, the director of missional imagination himself. No longer goes by that title, but once you're a director of missional imagination, no, you you you're always a director you of missional lose imagination. That title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was what a, a guy. I, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation with Kim. I feel like I love the place that he's obviously grown into. Uh, integrating all of his experiences together in a way that he just seems um, hope-filled without being naive. Mm. He seems to have like a depth of understanding of um, diverse expressions uh, without kind of being simplistic in his approach. So I really enjoyed that conversation. For you, Benj, what was the kind of key learning or next step that came out of that? Yeah, he was talking about the... um church is shifting from seeing how you can get more people, how you can grow your church. And, uh, you know, we talk about growing big and growing small. Um, But no matter what size your church is, to think about whoever God has placed within your community of faith and how do you mobilize and send them into their neighborhoods. And I love that because you're not vying for, you know, the, the, 10% 10% of Christians in your neighborhood or whatever it is, but actually just allowing people to, to, um, to, to be Jesus in their street, to their neighbors, to their family, to their workmates. And um, I, I reckon that's awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful reframe, you know, rather than constantly looking for the people that you could have, actually really investing deeply in the people that are already within your community and seeing what ripples out from there. What about for you? What stood out? Uh, it's a little bit theology nerdy, but the thing that I really loved hearing was um, he used this phrase, you know, our Christology should inform our missiology, which should inform our ecclesiology. And basically the idea that we should always start with who is Jesus? What do we think Jesus is doing in the world? What is the role of Christ? And, you know, we might come up with an answer like reconciling all things in every square inch of the universe. And then that should inform our missiology. So what are we about? What are we going out to do? How do we participate in that? And then comes the question of how do we most effectively structure our church? What kind of rhythms will we need? What will our gatherings look like? Uh, and I just love that he said it's important, but it's about the order that we put those things in. I think that's helpful. Yeah. And uh, so often we, we go the other way around, right? Start with our ecclesiology, particularly when it comes to church planting or you've, you've inherited a, a church that you're leading or you're part of a church and you go, well, what's our mission? And then what's Jesus doing in the world? Uh, But I love flipping that. It's really, really important. Awesome. Well, our next episode will be the last one of season one of Forming Church and our good pal, Jamie Freeman, is going to sit with us and help us to work through some of the learnings that we've got out of this journey. And 
Uh, hopefully that's a chance for you as well to reflect on some of the things that may be relevant for you. What are your next steps? How are you going to take some of these ideas and put flesh on them? So join us for that. And uh, in the meantime, if you haven't already done it, go drop us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, subscribe to this. You can catch up on all the, all the uh, episodes we've already done. Hopefully we've got more coming as well. You can get amongst our Facebook group, uh, Forming Church Podcast, and uh, join the conversation there. And you can follow us online uh, on Instagram at Forming Church. Love you all. Peace.